Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. Once again, everybody, um, I want to make a couple comments based on uh, the things that Ben <clears throat> just announced there. Um, if you come in late to worship, it is a big deal. <laughs> um, I know he was trying to say, hey, if you miss it because it's an accident, yeah, nobody's going to point fingers at you. But I was thinking recently, um, I was actually talking to uh, a classmate. I was in college, Lancaster Bible College, uh, down in Lancaster Friday and Saturday. And we were talking about the around the globe, it seems like, or no, let's say around America specifically, service times start. And what most pastors find is about a, por- a good portion of their congregation comes in midway through worship, right? And I was just thinking about this, you know, to me, the most important part of our service, our gathering together, isn't what I'm about to do now. It's important. The teaching of the word is absolutely important. It's one of the reasons we gather together. Scripture says do it. We need to speak it. But the coming together in corporate worship is it's the main event to me. Oh, preaching is a part of worship. Offering is a part of worship. But like the declaring of our hearts is the main event. And I was just thinking like if we, if there was a show at the local theater or if there was a concert or if there was a football game or even your child's terrible recital for Christmas, you know, we show up early, don't we? We, we show up, we, get, we have tickets with a seat number on it that say this spot is reserved for me and we still get there a half hour early. But when we come to the presence of the King of Kings in corporate worship, we're like, it's just a few songs. Just not going to be a big deal. I would say it is a huge deal. Let's, like, I wake up on Sunday morning amped for these songs to start so that we can come together and just seek his presence and to give him all glory. So that's my little spiel before... Get into the message. That's not even a message today. That's a side message that some of you are very angry at. You're like, I like my extra 15 minutes. The music's too long for me. It's not about you. It's about him. Anyway, um, (laughs) it's not about you. It's about sacrifice to him. So Jesus is worth it all. If you don't like 45 minutes of worship, you will not like eternity in heaven. It's (laughs) just being honest. (laughs) Um, So anyway. Anyway, um, we, we might offer earplugs in the back if it's too loud for you. I'm okay with that. I get that complaint. But, um, but yeah, anyway, length is not an issue. It's a blip on the radar. So, anyway, um, anyway, this morning, this message, I, how many of you guys were here last week? Just so I, I know where we're building. Last week, we began a series of the glory of God, talking about the glory of God. And uh, we, I have realized in the last few months that, Talking about the glory of God is something that we speak about all the time, but I feel like we very rarely take a moment to reflect what is the glory of God. Why do we talk about it in every song, throughout Scripture? I think it was 356 passages throughout Scripture talk about the glory of God. It's a big deal. 
Um, last week we talked about being made for the glory of God, um, that we experience different aspects of the glory of God. There's different words for it, such as doxa in the New Testament and kabod and shekinah in the Old Testament. There's different aspects of God's glory, and we were made to press into this thing, right? You guys remember what I'm talking about? And, and last week I, I've actually had a lot of feedback, probably more from that message than any message I've ever preached on, where you guys like that, that message spoke to me, it stirred something. And so I feel like starting into this year, 2019, we're on the right track of identifying what is the glory of God. I am made for the glory of God. How do I experience this? How do I give it to him? Like, what does this look like? So that's the series that we're in. If you're new with us this week, if you weren't here last week. Um, but so I was at class this last weekend and uh, the professor asked us to take a few moments and reflect on some things. He said, you know, each one of us, we're not called to be like Christians by title. We're called to be, Jesus tells us, tells us that the last words he spoke was to go and to make what? Just curious. Disciples. We're going to make disciples. He didn't say go create a new religion. He said go make disciples, teaching them all the things that I've commanded you, baptizing them, right? And go to the ends of the world. Do this. Go make disciples. And he's like, looking at my own life, look, he said to us, look at your own life. And as you became a disciple, what are pivotal moments in your life of growing as a disciple? Who are key people, key experiences, key moments that you've encountered in your life? And so I began to think through this of my own life, and I came up with this pretty, pretty detailed list. And one kind of took the top. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like one moment that was like a turning point in your life or in your Christian faith. And I want to share that before we get into the text this morning. Um, and if you've heard this story before, I apologize. I'm, I mean, it's been four years since me as the lead pastor. I only have so many stories. I could start making them up, but that would feel wrong as a pastor. But um, so I was in college in 2005. Uh, I had to take a class on hiking. Some of you guys have heard the story before. And at the end of the class, we had to go on a backpacking trip at the Appalachian Mountains. And, um, and so I'm excited for this. I have all my gear. I have part of my professor's gear because he broke his arm and couldn't carry a backpack for this trip. And we get out of the van, and this is my first hiking experience ever, right? So I have all new gear, no clue what I'm doing. And we get out of the van. He's like, hey, the trail starts right around the corner. We start walking on this little road. We get to the corner, and it's like literally straight up, just a mountain. And like this is the beginning of the trail. The first mile and a half are up, and I've got 45 pounds on my back. And I remember literally climbing up this narrow trail, grabbing onto trees to pull myself up. And I begin to complain and be frustrated, and I'm thinking, I'm going to die. They're going to have to bring a helicopter to airlift me out of this mountain in the middle of nowhere, an Appalachia area, whatever this is. Like, I'm, I'm frustrated and complaining, right? And about halfway to the top, in my grumbling and my complaining, I felt the presence of the Lord speak to me. Think about Pastor Mike for a second. And Pastor Mike was my former youth pastor who had just been in a motorcycle accident and was paralyzed from the waist down. And the doctors said he will never walk again. And I thought about Pastor Mike and I thought, how dare I complain about the privilege of climbing this mountain when he never will. And I began to look at my legs and I started, it was kind of a weird moment. I'm just going to be honest. It was a weird moment. I'm climbing the mountain and looking at my legs thinking, these are amazing. <laughs> my mind is incredibly in awe of my legs. Not because I work out at the gym and these are 
awe-inspiring legs. Stop looking at my legs. I feel really uncomfortable right now. <laughs> this is too narrow right here. Let's get my old pulpit back. <laughs> I begin to think these are incredible things that God has designed us with that just because I, I think I want to go there, they begin to go there. And it's amazing. It's marvelous. And I just begin to think of the glory of God in creation. And I get to the top of the mountain, and it was just, the rest of the hike was a breeze compared to coming up the mountain. I like walking on flat things and going downhill. I'm not one of the people who like to climb. I hate to climb. Uh, but you got to climb to get to the top. And God began to speak to me that night about how full of arrogance and selfishness my life has become. And so I finished the hike, and it downpoured, but it was still a great time. It was just the Lord speaking to me in that moment. And I get, we, come, we drive back to college that night, the next day, and my friend Daniel, which a lot of you have met before, he calls me and says, hey, Jesse, down in Virginia Beach, Hillsong United is going to be there, and uh, do you want to go? They're, they're worshiping tomorrow morning. And I'm like, that's like a 12-hour drive from here, but sure. So we all jump in this truck, this pickup truck. We drive to Virginia Beach, and we make it into the building. It's a packed house at this church down there. And Hillsong United begins to worship, and I'm in the middle of worship. And I felt the Lord say to me, like in the middle of worship, he just, I hear, heard his voice as clear as I've ever heard it before. Why are you doing what you're doing? Talking about Bible college. And I said, because I want to be a pastor. You called me to ministry. I want to get to know you and to be a better pastor. And he said to my heart, that's not true. You're at college because you're comfortable. People know you and your pride's being built. And I just sat and I cried. In the middle of worship, everybody's like, Hillsong United, woohoo! And I'm just weeping, right? And so I, I had some obligations with the college that I had to finish. And I finished that summer and I told all my family, all my mentors, I was dropping out of college. I had one year left. I'm dropping out. And they were confused. And I had to walk through this journey of humility. Like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I spent the last three years. I spent a lot of money. I spent some of my parents' money. I don't know what you're doing, but I want to seek your face. And I began to seek his face. And I learned more about God in those few months than I did in three years of Bible college. Not because the college was bad, but because my heart was bad. Make sense? And so I began to walk through this journey of, like, of humility and getting rid of fear. And, and so now I hike regularly, like, not because I'm, I'm flat-footed and overweight, not the physique for a hiker. But I do it because I know this is a way to sacrifice to the Lord and to experience his glory in a different way. Make sense? And, and that also that season, I began to realize how full of vanity I was, how how. I led, led me through a season of humility, and honestly, it wasn't for that season and that moment, I would have never met my wife. And God put us together. God did something in my heart. And so he worked there, and then he let me go back to college. It was great. But what I want to point to, to you is in that moment, in, those, in that one weekend, hiking a mountain and going to a concert, a, a worship concert, in that one weekend, I felt God's glory in his creation and God's glory in his weighty presence. Make sense? And I left that season, that weekend, completely changed. The rest of my life has changed. Does it make sense? This morning, as we look at Scripture, as we look at the glory of God, I want you to know that the glory of God is not just an experience that makes us feel good or see the beauty of God, but the glory of God transforms our lives. 
The glory of God should be the thing that our lives are led by. That I make decisions based on the glory of God. I don't make decisions based on what textbook says I should do to have the best, most successful life. I have to make decisions based on God's glory, on God's presence. Where he is, there I am. Does it make sense? So his glory transforms everything. I think of Moses in Exodus chapter 34. You don't have to turn there. But we see Moses goes in up the mountain, which everybody else was invited to go up, and they rejected it. He goes up the mountain. God gives the Ten Commandments to him. And he comes down with a new law for the people, and his face is shining from the glory of God, right? And they say, Moses, your face is too, sh- you've been with God, you've seen, it, you've seen him, and there's something about you, you've got to veil this thing because it's too bright for us. Moses was physically transformed by the glory of God, right? So he comes down the mountain, there's a veil that they put over his face. Exodus chapter 40, uh, we have it on the screen here. We see this, read, read chapter 40 if we will, I'll read it from the screen. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able, able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the, God, of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the, over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. And in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. What I want you to see is that they, Moses was transformed physically by the glory of God. And then the glory of God shows up in their presence over the tabernacle. And all can see the glory of God. And they decided, hey, how about we be led by this thing? To wherever the cloud goes, wherever the fire goes, that's where we go. Moses is transformed. The people are led by this. I love the fact that everyone could see it, though. It wasn't just something that Moses and the priests could see. All of Israel could see this thing. All of his people could see his presence. All of his people could see his glory. You guys still with me this morning? The glory of God is for everyone to behold and to be led by, to be transformed by. Like I said, the invitation to go up the mountain wasn't just for Moses. It was for everybody. See, we need to realize that God is always trying to lead us and guide us and transform us by his glory, by his presence. In the book of Numbers in chapter 14, you don't need to turn there, but I'll I'll tell you the story. You guys know the story of the spies that go into the promised land, right? And 12 go in. They had already seen God do crazy things over and over and over and over again, right? Numbers chapter 14, we see this story. They go into the promised land. They come out, and 10 of them are terrified. We can't go in there. But Joshua and Caleb are like, guys, God's got this. This is ours. This is, this is awesome. Let's go. Forget the giants. Forget the, how big the grapes are. Let's go in. This is our land. They were expected to see the glory of God and what he's done in the past and have transformation, hope in their hearts that leads them into walking in the promise. Instead, what happened is they rejected the glory of God from the past. They didn't hold on to the hope that they have because of how awesome God is. And the people of Israel rejected Joshua and Caleb. They wanted to kill them for speaking truth. 
They wanted to kill them for speaking hope. And so what happens? God says, all right, everybody who doesn't want to go in, you won't see the promised land. You're going to wander around, die out in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb and their people will go in. Only those will be the only ones who will see my promise. This morning, I want to say that God has an expectation on us to be transformed when we behold his glory. He expects us to be transformed by that, to see something and to respond to it. He doesn't want us to still stay the same as prior to the moment of his glory, right? If I would have went up that mountain, heard God convict my heart about my legs and about taking joy in his creation, and then I would have went back and still pride and, 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 and arrogance and whatever. If I would heard him speak to me at that concert, and because of fear and doubt, knowing what he had said, told all my parents and uh, my parents and my mentors, you know what, I kind of felt like this, but maybe, I, maybe I was, something was weird in me, maybe it was the pizza that I ate, so I'm just going to stick it out and do the logical thing and finish my degree. God expects me to make a decision based on his presence, not based on what everybody else tells me is right. You have two spies who says, this is what God says, and you have ten other spies like, that's what giants look like. Logic says one thing, the presence of God says, be transformed. Turn to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. We've been talking about Old Testament, but I want you to see there's a transformation that happens in the New Testament in response to God's glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 4. He talks, the beginning of chapter 3 is talking about uh, the law versus what the Spirit has done. But verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not by the letter, or not, not of the letter, we're talking about the law, but of the Spirit. Well, I want to pause there. This was not in my message, but I just want to point out something. Sufficiency from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. If you don't feel like you have what it takes to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's made you sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. That's, that's, it's right there. So just in case you were a little skeptical, of, if you've got the spiritual whatever, if you've not taken any courses, you don't need a course. You just need Jesus. You need the Spirit. That's all you need. Anyway, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in the letters of stone came with such a glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, talking about the law, what Moses brought down out of the mountain, right? If there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had the glory has come to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope. I love that word hope. That's the, that's the word of the year, hope. 
hope to the city, hope to the broken. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. Moses was what local people would call a boldy, just so you know. That's a term I heard when I moved here. Moses was pretty bold, but we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when we read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all say all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He says, remember the glory that was on Moses' face when he carried the law around, which was temporary? Remember that glory? You guys now, because you've received adoptions as sons, you've received life of the Spirit. He's talking to the church, and the Corinthian church is a whacked out church, right? They've got issues. He's talking to them, and he says, we all who have beheld the glory of Jesus with unveiled face now, or being transformed from one glory to another level of glory. And what we have as our starting point, which is permanent, eternal, the glory of Jesus, is beyond the glory that Moses had when he came down the mountain. Right? This has got to sink into your hearts right now. The glory that you carry as a follower of Jesus is beyond the glory that Moses carried when he was face-to-face with them, when God took his finger and wrote in stones, gave him tablets, and sent him down the mountain. You carry more glory than that. And he says, you're being transformed from one degree to another degree to another degree. God's glory is not just so that we give him glory, we see his beauty, but it's also to transform us, to take us from one place of glory to another. It's beautiful. It's, 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 it's incredible. It's permanent. This morning, we carry hope. His glory in us, his glory that transforms us, his glory all around us carries hope with it. We have this hope. We have this ministry of righteousness. A ministry of righteousness. It's like we're just sinners saved by grace. That's a common phrase. That is... That, has be, that is true and so false at the same time. Because when we hold on to this identity of sinners saved by grace, we completely forget that we are no longer sinners. We were sinners who have been saved by grace. Now we are the righteousness of Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are ministers of righteousness. You cannot be a minister of righteousness and a sinner at the same time. God looks at you as his sons and daughters with the glory of him on you and covering you and says, hey, how about you be transformed by my glory? You're a minister of righteousness. You're a carrier of hope. That's who you are. And what you carry is permanent. See, Christ, I love that Christ removes the veil. 
When we look to him, the veil has to come off. All the confusion, all the doubt, all that guilt, all that shame, all that insecurities, like oh, we're just going to stay on this side of the mountain because the top of the mountain's thundery and crazy looking and it's too difficult. God takes that veil off our face and says, hey, how about you come in? How about you come into this? We now get to live in true freedom where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. This passage is packed with truth that will wreck your lives. I would encourage you, don't just listen to me today preach this text. Meditate on this thing this whole week, this whole month, the year if you need to. Begin to unpack the revelation that's in here. When we behold his glory, what happens? One degree to another degree to another degree. You guys still with me this morning? Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul is talking about the ministry to the church and and what's happening to the church. And um, what verse is that? I gave you just 27. Okay. Talking about the ministry... Um, that will be revealed to his saints, what's being revealed here. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that awesome? Christ in us is the hope of glory. Like when, when we want to encounter the glory of God, it's about Christ first. The only way we can access God's glory is Christ in us, the hope of glory. The only way we are transformed by him is by him removing the veil off of our eyes. It's focusing our hearts and our attentions on him. This morning, I want you to recognize as we look at these texts, as we look at Corinthians, as we look at what God did with the Israelites, that God, God made you to see and to know his glory, but this morning, I want to ask you, though, is, uh, how are you going to respond to it? Are you being transformed by it? I, I remember when I was a teenager, a big thing um, as, a, as a youth group, in my youth group, we had a large youth group, and there were these events that happened all around the country called Acquire the Fire. Anybody ever heard of Acquire the Fire? A few of us. There's, all right. And so we'd go to these events, and there'd be like, you know, our group of, of kids teenagers and you'd fill stadiums full of students and we'd go and we'd have this encounter with God right and we'd get amped up about Jesus and his presence and then we'd go back to our homes some of them were broken some of them weren't but we'd go back into our normal lives we'd go back to our schools and we'd go back to our peer pressure we'd go back to whatever and the same kids who were like weeping before the Lord in an encounter with his presence would forget his presence two weeks, three weeks later, and they'd be the same ones selling drugs at the locker, you know, or, or whatever. You guys know what I'm talking about. And, and maybe you've all had that experience as well. I would, I would say that a lot of Christians, it doesn't matter if you're a teenager or an adult, we do the same thing regularly. We go and we hear a message on Sunday and we're, we're like, Pastor, that was a great message. It really spoke to me. But we don't let the revelation of the glory of God actually transform our lives. 
like actually become behavior, actually become something that we do differently. I still hike regularly because I want to keep that thing fresh in my heart. I want to humble my fat self as I climb up the top of the mountain. I want to stay humble, like God, keep me, keep me in shape, keep my heart pure, keep me broken. Let me see my weaknesses because I want you to be made strong in that. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. I want to stay in that place. That makes sense. I value worship and prayer because it does the same thing. Every week when I come together and I worship, it keeps me raw. Ben and Andy and I, and everybody's welcome, every Wednesday for one hour in the middle of our week at 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, we stop what we're doing, we make no other plans, we come here and we worship and we pray because it's, it's, it's that moment that keeps me on my knees in the middle of my week. Does it make sense? I've chosen to take these moments of God displaying his glory and say, I don't want this to be a thing like the Israelites where he's led us out of captivity, but then the moment I see a giant, I can't remember his glory. I, can't, I, don't, I don't remember that, and all I see is the thing in front of me, and I'm not actually transformed by it. That's why they wandered for 40 years. It should have taken them a few weeks at most to get into that land. But they're wandering for years because all they can see is their situation, not the glory that he's revealed to them. Glory has to be the thing that we're led by. His glory has to be the thing that we're transformed by. How have you been transformed by his glory? This morning we're going to do something different as we close. Um, and, And toward the end, the worship team can come back up then. But... What I want to do is just like I had to do this last weekend, I want you to take a few moments. If you've never experienced Jesus, if you've never received him as your Savior, this is the moment that you can do that now, that you can simply say, Father, I need you. Jesus, I need you to forgive me, and I want to behold your glory. And I would encourage you, if you do that, come grab me or grab Ben, who did the announcements. Grab my wife up here in the front. We'd love to share and celebrate with you. But if you've already done that, I want, to, I want to challenge you as a church, just take the next few minutes as Jenna plays to kind of examine your heart. God, what are the milestones in my life that you did something or you attempted to do something? You showed me your glory. You showed me your beauty. You spoke clearly. I knew that you were calling me to change. And, and maybe you did change, so celebrate that. Look at that and see this is the glory of God. That was when he displayed himself in my life. You guys know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't change. God was clearly speaking. He was clearly revealing himself, whether it was the kabod, the weightiness, or whether it's the shekinah, the beauty, the, the glory that was visible or seeable. Maybe it was one of those things, and you chose to walk like the Israelites, like the other ten, and forget what God was doing. I want to give you this moment to just reflect and, and say, let, let's, let, let's sit in the glory. Does that make sense? Let's sit in the glory. Because... Because how do we encounter the glory of God? It's looking at Jesus. It's looking at his works. It's looking at the cross. It's looking at grace. And he just begins to reveal his heart. I love that the promise for my life is that the level of glory that I walk in right now is not the level of glory I will end my life in. Transformed one degree to another of the glory of God. That might sound arrogant to you, but that's just because I've received grace it's not by my works, it's by his that I get to keep transforming. And I would say it's the same thing for you. It's not by your works, it's by his great love for you that you get to completely keep changing from one deg- degree of glory to the next the rest of your life. It's a beautiful invitation. I want to ask you to respond to it this morning. Let's, you, can, you can bow, you can kneel, you can stand, whatever you need to do. But I want, you to, I want to quiet our hearts and just reflect on what he has done, his glory revealed, and how he is speaking and transforming us.